Section twenty four of A Woman's Journey Round the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter fourteen Journey from Delhi to Bombay. Part one the thugs or stranglers departure cattle market bharatpur biana wells and ponds good nature of the indians poppy plantations the satis notara kota descriptions of the town the royal palace of armanevas amusements and dances the holy village of keshoraipatan in order to reach bombay i had two routes before me the one leads past shimla to the foot of the himalayas the other to the famous rock temples of ajanta and elora i would gladly have chosen the former and penetrated as far as the principal chain of the himalayas lahore and the indus but my friends advised me not to make the attempt for the simple reason that these mountains are covered with deep snow in which case i must have postponed my journey for at least three months as i was unable to wait so long i decided upon taking the latter road in calcutta i had been recommended not to continue my journey beyond delhi at all they said the country was not under the control of the english government and the people were far less civilized people endeavoured more specially to excite my apprehension by terrible accounts of the thugs or stranglers these thugs form a singular sect whose object is robbery and murder and who like the italian banditti are prepared to undertake any atrocity for which they are paid they must not however in any case shed blood and dare only make away with their victim by strangling that is not considered as very criminal and the murderer absolves himself by a small present which he gives to his priest but if he sheds one drop of blood he falls into the deepest disgrace is expelled from his caste and abandoned even by his own associates many travellers affirm that thugs are a religious sect and that they do not murder for sake of plunder or of revenge but in order according to their belief to ensure a meritorious action i made many inquiries about this and learned that from every one that it was no religious compulsion but hatred revenge or desire of gain which led to these acts these stranglers are represented as possessing a most extraordinary dexterity in their abominable trade united with the most untiring patience and perseverance they frequently follow the victims they have selected for months and strangle them either while sleeping or by stealing behind them and throwing a twisted cloth or a cord round their necks which they draw tight with such rapidity and force that death ensues instantaneously in delhi i gained more information i was assured that all these dangers were exaggerated that travellers were very rarely attacked in india and that the thugs were reduced in numbers moreover they did not make any attempt on europeans as the english government instituted the strictest search of the culprits with regard therefore to the danger i was tolerably at ease but i had still to anticipate privation and fatigue the first part of the journey was to kota distant two hundred and ninety miles i had the choice of three modes of conveyance palanquins camels or oxen ballis none of them are expeditious there are no high roads and no organized accommodation for travelling you must retain the same men and animals to the end of the journey and at the utmost 
cannot go more than from twenty to twenty-two miles in one day for a palanquin it is necessary to engage eight bearers besides several for the luggage although each does not receive more than eight rupees a month out of which he pays his own expenses still the expense is heavy because so many are required and their return journey must be paid for travelling on camels is also expensive and is the most inconvenient i decided therefore on adopting the less costly mode of conveyance by oxen as i travelled alone dr sprenger very kindly made all the necessary preparations he drew up a written contract with a chantry wagoner in hindustani to the effect that i was to pay him the half of the fare fifteen rupees pound one ten shillings immediately and the other half when he arrived at kota to which place he must bring me in fourteen days for every day over the time i had the right to deduct three rupees six shillings dr sprenger also sent one of his most trusty chapasses to accompany me and his good wife furnished me with an excellent warm wrapper and every kind of provision so that my wagon could not hardly hold all that i had with sorrowful heart i parted from my good country people god grant me that i may see them yet again during my life on the morning of thirtieth of january eighteen forty eight i left delhi the first day we made very little progress only eighteen miles which brought us to faridabad the heavy awkward animals required to be first used to the draught the first twelve miles of the journey afforded me some gratification as along both sides of the road lay innumerable ruins which i had visited with my friends only a few days previously this as well as the following nights were passed in caravansaries i had no tent no palanquins and on this road there were no bungalows unfortunately the caravansaries in the smaller villages are not to be compared with those in the larger towns the cells are rudely constructed of clay their length is scarcely seven feet and the small opening only four feet high is without a door but to my astonishment i found them always very cleanly swept and i was also furnished with a low wooden stool covered with a network upon which i threw my wrapper and which served me for an excellent couch the chaprasi laid himself like the napoleon's mimduk before the entrance of my cell but he slept much more soundly for even on the first night he did not hear the least of my very sharp encounter which i had with the enormous dog that had been attracted by my well-filled provision basket thirty-first january towards noon we passed the little town of balmanglam in which there was a small english military station a mosque and a very recently erected hindu temple we passed the night in the little town of palwal in this neighbourhood the peacocks are very tame every morning i saw dozens of these beautiful birds on the trees they come into the fields and even into the towns to fetch from the good-natured natives first february our night station on this day was the small town of kossi we had already been overtaken during the last mile by a number of natives who were busily hurrying into the town in and outside of which a considerable cattle market was being held this market presented a picture of the greatest confusion the animals stood on all the sides between the multitude of trusses of hay and straw the sellers crying and praising their wares without cessation and leading the buyers here and there partly by persuasion and partly by force who also made no less noise than the former i was most struck by the innumerable cobblers who set up their simple working implements between the piled-up bundles of hay and straw consisting of small tables with thread wire and leather 
and who were busily engaged at their trade repairing the coverings for the feet i remarked at this time as well as on several other occasions that the natives are by no means indolent as they generally represented to be but on the contrary that they avail themselves of every favourable opportunity of earning money all the caravansaries at the entrance of the town were crowded and there was no alternative except to pass through the whole town to the other side the town's gate had a very promising appearance rising proudly and boldly into the air i hoped to see corresponding buildings and saw instead breast mud howls and narrow lanes so narrow indeed that the foot passengers were obliged to step under the entrance of their huts to allow our bailey to pass them second february a few miles distance of mathura we turned out of the beaten road which leads from delhi to mathura a town which still remains under english government mathura is a pretty little town with a very neat mosque broad streets and walled houses many of which are decorated with galleries columns or sculptures of red sandstone the appearance of the country here is monotonous uniformity boundless plains on which orchards and meadows alternately present themselves the latter apparently quite scorched in the consequence of the dry season the corn is already a foot high but such large quantities of yellow flowers were mixed with it that there was great difficulty in telling whether the corn or weeds had been sown the cultivation of cotton is of very great importance here the indian plant does not indeed attain the height and thickness of the egyptians however it is considered that the quality of cotton does not depend upon the size of the plants and that the cotton of this country is the finest and the best i observed upon these plains little houses here and there built upon artificially raised perpendicular mounds of clay of form six to eight feet high there are no steps leading to the tops of the mounds the only means of access being by ladders which can be drawn up at night from what i draw from the explanation of my servants which however i only partially understood they are used by families who live in retired places for security against tigers which are here very frequently seen third february bharatpur we passed a place which was overgrown in broad patches with mishap and stunted bushes a rare occurrence in this part of the country where wood is scarce my driver bestowed upon the tangled brushwood the high-sounding name of jungle i should rather have compared them with the dwarf bushes and shrubs of iceland the country beyond this woody district had a very remarkable appearance the ground was in many places torn and fissured as if in the consequence of an earthquake in the caravanserai at bharatpur there were a great number of natives soldiers and particularly some very rough-looking men of whom i felt inclined to be afraid i was no longer in english territories and alone among all these people however they behaved themselves with great civility and greeted me in the evening and morning with a right hearty salaam i think that a similar set of men in our own country would scarcely have shown me the same respect fourth february on the other side of the town i saw two fine monuments before the door round temples with lofty cupolas and carved stone lattice work in the window openings the fields and meadows were richly strewn with indian fig trees a thing which i have scarcely met with anywhere else except in syria and sicily to the right of the road was a low rocky peak whose highest point was crowned by a fortress the dwelling houses of the commanders instead of being sheltered by walls rose high up above them and were tastily surrounded by verandas 
on the terrace of the principal building was a handsome pavilion supported upon pillars the outer walls of the fortress extended down into the valley below we had proceeded about fourteen miles when we came upon some monuments which had very unique appearance on a small spot shaded by beautiful trees was a round wall formed by a number of flagstones of seven feet high and four feet wide in the middle stood three monuments of circular form built of large square stones the diameter of their tower part was about twelve feet their height about six they had no entrance i also saw a new species of bird today it was very similar in size and form to the flamingo with the beautiful pinion feathers its plumage was tinged with rich whitish grey shade the head was covered with deep red feathers we rested this night at the somewhat large town of hindon the only object which attracted my notice here was a palace with such small windows that they seemed more fitted for dolls than for men sixth february as i was about to leave the caravansary this morning three armed men placed themselves before my wagon and in spite of the exclamations of my people prevented our starting at last i succeeded in understanding that the dispute was about a few pence for having kept watch before the door of my sleeping wagon during the night which my people would not pay the caravansary did not appear to the chepras very safe and he had requested a guard in the evening from the sardar magistrate the people might have slept quite soundly in some corner of the courtyard and perhaps have dreamt of watching for although i looked out several times during the night there was not one of them to be seen however what can one expect for a few pence i satisfied them with a small present upon which they made a regular military movement and allowed us to proceed if i had been inclined to be timid i must have been in continual anxiety for several days from the appearance of the natives all of the men were armed with sabres bows and arrows matchlocks formidable clubs borne with iron and even shields of iron plate these arms were also carried by the cattle tenders in the field but nothing disturbed the equanimity although ignorant of the language and with only the old chepras with me i always felt as though my last hours were not yet come nevertheless i was glad that we had passed by a clear daylight the dangerous ravines and deep gorges through which our road lay for several miles from these were entered a large valley at the entrance of which was an isolated mountain surmounted by a fortress four miles further on we came to a small group of trees in the middle of which was a stone terrace five feet in height upon which was a life-size statue of a horse carved in stone by the side of this well was a dugout a kind of cistern built of large blocks of sandstone with steps leading up to the water similar wells and cisterns some of which are much larger screened by a beautiful mango and tamarind trees are frequently met with in india especially in districts where as in the present one good springs are scarce the hindus and the mohammedans have a good belief that by the erection of works of general benefit they may more easily attain future happiness when such water reservoirs and groups of trees have been founded by hindus several sculpted figures of their deities or red painted stones are commonly found to be placed on them at many of the wells and cisterns also a man is placed whose business is to draw water for the weary travellers however agreeable the erection of these reservoirs may be in many respects there is one circumstance which detracts from their value the people always wash and bathe in the same ones from which they must procure their drinking water but what objections will not thirst silence 
I felt my jag as well as the others. 7th February Dunjar Kamaluma is a small village at the foot of a low mountain. A short distance from the station lay a true Arabian sand desert, but which was fortunately not of very great extent. The sand plains of India are generally capable of being cultivated, as it is only necessary to dig a few feet deep to reach water, with which to irrigate the fields. Even in this little desert were a few fine-looking wheat fields. This evening I thought I should have been obliged to make use of my pistols. My wagoner always wanted everyone to give him the road. If they did not do so, he abused them. Today we came upon half a dozen of armed traveller wagoners, who took no notice of the calls of my driver, upon which he was enraged, and threatened to strike them with this whip. If it had come to blows, we should, no doubt, in spite of my aid, have come off of the worst. But they contented themselves with mutual abuse and threats, and the fellows got out of the way. I have everywhere remarked that the Indians jangle and threaten a great deal, but that they never go beyond that. I have lived a great deal among the people and observed them, and have often seen anger and quarrelling, but never fighting. Indeed, when their anger lasts long, they sit down together. The children never wrestle or pull each other about, either in sport or earnest. I only once saw two boys enraged in earnest quarrel, when one of them so far forgot himself as to give other a box on the ear, but he did this as carefully as if he received the blow himself. The boy who was struck drew his sleeve over his cheek, and the quarrel was ended. Some of the children who looked on from the distance, but took no part in it. This good nature may partly depend upon the fact that the people eat so little flesh, and, according to their religion, are so extremely kind to all animals. But I think still that there is some cowardice at the bottom of it. I was told that the Hindu would scarcely be persuaded to enter a dark room without a light, if a horse or ox makes the slightest start, both great and small run frightened and shrieking away. On the other side, again, I heard from the English officers that the sepoys were very brave soldiers. Does this courage come from the court or from the example of the English? During the last day, I saw a great many poppy plantations. They present a remarkable appearance. The leaves are fatty and shining, the flowers large and variegated. The extraction of opium is performed in a very simple but exceedingly tedious manner. The yet unripe poppy seeds are cut in several places in the evening. A white tenacious juice flows out of these incisions, which quickly thickens by the exposure to the air, and remains hanging in small tears. These tears are scraped off with a knife in the morning, and poured into vessels which have the form of a small cake. The second inferior quantity is obtained by pressing and boiling the poppy heads and stems. In many books, and for instance, in Zimmerman's Pocket Book of Travels, I read under this head that the poppy plants reached a height of forty feet in India and Persia, and that the capsule were as large as a child's head, and held nearly a quart of seeds. This is not correct. I saw the finest plantations in India, and afterwards also in Persia, but found that the plants were never more than three, and, at the most, four feet high and the capsule about as large as a small hen's egg. End of section 24 Read by Lambda